Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our Lockdown Project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. and welcome to Tea and Biscuits and today I am talking to my old friend Paul Cruz. Hi Paul. Hello Emma, how are you? Paul, what is your biscuit of choice? Is it virtual or is it real? Uh, Virtual because I can't get the biscuits I like in LA that I would normally choose and the biscuit of my virtual biscuit of choice would be a ginger nut. Dip in my tea, and uh, and it's the kids whenever they whenever they go back to England or when the, the older ones come out, they always bring me some ginger nuts. Lovely. I'd have disowned you if you'd said an Oreo or one of those American biscuits. No. A ginger, <laughs> I accept. Excellent. <laughs> I'm really excited because I'm looking at you, and the wonder of modern technology is is crossing oceans and continents. Tell us where you are. Well, we're uh, we're in Manhattan Beach in LA, and uh, we are we're in lockdown here. I've been in this in this uh, in the house here now, working from home for over four months. Um, yeah, so just dealing with that, surviving the the whole uh, whole crisis that's happening with the coronavirus, you know. Wow. So for people who don't know, Paul was my executive producer at Knee for many, many years. So we've had decades of adventures, haven't we, Paul? We certainly have. Actually. When, when, when this came, you sent me through these the music, the ideas of what, you know, what music we should play. And I started going back and think, just having memories of all the different things you and I have got up to over the last... 15 or 20 years <laughs> it was uh it was gonna take longer than now if we went through them all i know it's shocking isn't it and i hadn't really thought about them for so long so and yeah. paul um ran away to la and you're now running the wallace annenberg center aren't you in beverly hills which is so glamorous <laughs> yeah it's a it's a new theater it's a performing arts center which we, and we um we both present and produce uh, work there. So we're producing theatre and dance and we're presenting music um, and some cinema as well now. And is it closed or what's happening? What's happening to your theatre at this moment? Like everyone else, we, we the, the theatre, the building's closed completely. No one works. I mean, we've got a, a couple of people there, you know, doing maintenance and keeping, just keeping the building going. But um, fundamentally, everybody is working remotely. Um, and we're all trying to navigate through this strange time. I mean, I think it's no different here than it is in, in the UK, actually, in terms of you know how do we plan when we don't know what the future holds. And um, we're trying, we're talking to the artists and the companies all the time, and we're you know re- renegotiating, rethinking, trying to support each other. But it's um, it's really quite difficult. It's really we- tough, isn't it? And we've got so much to talk about, but is there any support from the government in America? Because we are getting support here. Whether it's the right support, whether it's enough is another question, but there are packages being handed out. What's it like for you there? Well, it's different slightly. I mean, there's no, there's no government funding, obviously, for theatre anyway. So um, so that side never that doesn't exist in America. The there's, the, the, the theatre really is, is based on... Um, Either box office income and or rental, you know, when we uh, we rent the building out and have uh, events here for other people. So there's that sort of income or there's the contributed income, which is coming from uh, donors, patrons and board members who are, you know, amazingly supportive, actually. And, and the culture of, of philanthropy <clears throat> is a very different culture here than it is in the UK. So people do really support with their money when they, you know, when they have become successful and have you know got the money to to do it they they do see the um they see it's important to, to give back and i think you know the arts benefits from that as well but outside of that i mean we've got um you know we've had the furloughing situation as i guess you guys have mm-hmm. there sort of administered slightly differently in that um people who have been furloughed uh, across the country are getting support through the unemployment 
uh, uh, agencies rather than uh, anything else. So you know, they the unemployment agencies are, are um, have got a sort of emergency fund in place at the moment to help many many people who have become furloughed over these last few months. Um, so there is there is government support in terms of looking after people, but I mean that's running out, and I don't know what the future holds on that front as well. Um, I think what you're talking about, which is that um, culture of philanthropy in the States, which is so different to England and it's inspiring and worrying in equal measure to me. But it is at some level about kindness, which brings us on to your first choice. Tell me about your first choice of record. Well, as you know, Emma, whenever we um, we worked hard and we did work very hard at knee high, but we had a little bit of a culture of playing hard as well. And uh, we <laughs> often had first night parties that would go on into the early hours. And uh, I, I was thinking about those 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 first nights or you know, the parties we would, would have at knee high, which were pretty, they were good fun. They were really great fun. And, uh, and the Baghdadis were often invited to come and perform at our parties. They would we'd get them on a bus or train down from, the, the north and um, they would if we were in a theatre nearby we would get them to come and play and it just the Baghdad is to me uh, it sort of reminded me really of those 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 happy party days that we used to have at Nehi when we had worked very hard to get the, the show on stage and we'd you know we'd done all the hours we had to do and then we sort of let go a little bit and danced through into the into the early hours and I always remember dancing with the Baghdadis and I can remember you dancing quite a lot with the Baghdadis so it does, does bring back happy memories. Good evening sir, how do you do? I got something here to share with you Oh please remain sir, don't run away it is an axe and it is kind and it's okay If you've got time sir, I've got some lime sir If that's too bitter to your taste, well I will look and I will find you something sweeter This is Peter
Good evening, sir. Can I just stop you? The random acts of kindness. No. Okay. Uh, hello, madam. Uh, we're random acts of kindness, Northeast. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Well, we're we're a voluntary organisation. I'll just tell you a little bit about us. Uh, we're based in Northeast. We're we're non-political, multi-faith, and we're here to spread some kindness. This is my colleague Peter. And my name's Nigel. Would you like some cherry tomatoes or um, some kiwi fruit, a cigarette, or a sip of wine, or some vodka and some fruit juice? Baghdadis. Um, hello, Baghdadis, if you're listening. I hope you're surviving. Oh my God, we did party. At one point you said we used to let our hair down a little bit. There was no little bit about it. We used to party hard, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We did. And some of us still try to do that now, you know, but we're getting too old for it, probably. But, uh... I know. And now we're on lockdown, so there's bloody no partying going on, is there? But they were epic, epic parties. Um, but let's go back to when we met, because... Um, we met when you were now were you a producer at West Yorkshire Playhouse what was your title yeah producer I think I think I mean someone will correct me but I think I was the first producer in the regional uh, subsidised sector in the regional theatres really and uh I'd gone to Leeds, yeah, in 2001, and it was it was really before the, the term producer was used as much. Uh, it was it was more of a commercial theatre term, and it, it hadn't transferred across to the regional or the produce or the subsidised sector as much. So um, I went up to Leeds to work with Jude Kelly, who um, who basically said to me, "Look, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I'd love to produce, and I think we should, you know, I think regional theatres need producers um, to." Uh, to fill that gap between the general manager who may be running the building and the artistic director who is, you know, often in rehearsals themselves and, and, there, and there needs to be somebody in, in between. So we created the role at Leeds and I don't think, it was around that time that a few other venues did the same thing, but it was, I think we were pretty much the first on doing it. And um, I loved it. I, I, I'd been at Plymouth Theatre Royal for seven years prior to that down in, in Devon and um, Alan Finch and myself were talking the other day. Alan's now the managing director of Cameron Macintosh, but he and I were both at Plymouth, and I think we learned how to produce really during those seven, eight, nine years at Plymouth, where um, there were so many opportunities given to us by Adrian Vinkin just to get on and get it done, and uh, we worked out how to do it. So I, uh, I yes, yeah, so Leeds, I came to Leeds in 2001, and I'd seen Knee High when I was at Plymouth. I'd gone as an audience member to see different things, and I, I think we'd. Um, while at Plymouth as well, the company had come into the theatre uh, a couple of times. I do remember um, the King of Prussia particularly being yeah. a big impact on me. Um, but also going down to Cornwall to, to the outdoor work that was being done down there as well in the 90s. And um, so I was a big fan. So when, it, when I got to Leeds, one of the first companies I got in touch with was Nehi. And I remember it vividly because, you know, we rocked up and it was such a struggle. I mean, it's easy to look back and think life was sort of rosy in the old days, but it was such a struggle. We found getting bookings difficult. We found getting audiences difficult. And I will never forget rocking up at Leeds. Um, There would be Jude in the background and you'd be there and you'd always be there with a huge smile, a big hug and usually a pint or an open tab at the bar. And you just said, I'm going to build an audience for knee high. How are we going to do it? And nobody had ever said that before. And I don't actually believe anybody's said it since. And you literally put a plan in place and said, we're going to do a half week here. We're going to do a week in the studio here. And I will have you sold out in the main house in three years time. And you did. You absolutely did. And um, we became huge friends over that. Um, More than that, you know, I think you became, because you co-produced as well. We co-produced our first show, didn't we? Um, The Wooden Frock. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which came through. I, you. So we, our friendship was built through work. But I'll always remember there was none of this. Do we want it? Do we not want it? Is the show going to be successful? You just said, "I want knee high. I'm going to build an audience. Let's do it." Yeah, I can remember Bill because Bill was up there as well. Bill Mitchell, and uh, it was you know, he, we had a meeting about three projects, and it took five minutes. And he said, "Is that it?" I said, "That's all we asked." We're done. We're done. We can talk about the detail later, but we're done. And he was sort of surprised how quickly we'd done a meeting about bringing in red shoes, 
then bringing in uh, Pandora's box and then co-producing Wooden Frock. And I remember those three for the first three things we did together. And uh, and we had just we just committed to doing it in five minutes. And it was, and I think I don't. There's no other way of doing it. I mean, if you if you're going to go, you've got to do it. Gonna, well, you know, I agree. Commit and get on with there it. There are other ways of doing it because everybody else does it so slowly. But Paul, you'd laugh because people say that about me that I do meetings in five minutes. So I must have learned that off you. Sometimes there's not anything to talk about, is there? No, no. I think I think it's pretty straightforward. You know, and again. <clears throat> You can you can stop you can stop things happening by worrying about the detail too much. But if you just decide to commit to something and do it, you then sort out that detail. You work it out. I, I and you know it sounds it may sound cavalier, but I think it puts you in a position where you have to find solutions. You have to find, get over the hurdles you've got to get over, and and they don't stop you. They just get in the way a little well, bit. Well, that intoxicating sort of can-do attitude carried me aloft for many years but I remember I remember those times in the bar so clearly and how excited the whole um, theatre was everybody would come for a drink after the show the workshops and the wardrobe and company management you know it really did feel like something was happening in Leeds and you and Jude were at the absolute heart of it well I always thought it was important that the people who worked in the building were uh, had access to the shows I mean I wanted them to come and see the work that they were you know involved with and um and, and again, we, we sort of triggered the idea of, you know, a first night party to celebrate what had happened, all the work that everyone had done. So everyone was, was you know, I wasn't expected to come, but, you know, I was always encouraging people to get there. Um, and with Nehi, it was always, you know, we always knew as well it'd be a fun night, whatever. I, and I've still got memories of the very first night <laughs> of the Red Shoes. And we were in the court, Courtyard Theatre and... Um, there was Mike and Dave Min walking around the front of house in their stained Y fronts and their little suitcases. And I did have a moment when and I saw that Mike going up to the chairman of the board and I did think, <laughs> I wonder if I've got a job tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, they, but everybody, it, it, that was the wonderful thing about it, you know, that, that whole idea of um, engaging the audience prior to the show starting and, and uh, really, you know, talking to an audience you know being having the audience as part of the show and i just it, it was a style of work that just uh, i i just loved and um and leeds did and i think leeds there's an audience in leeds still for that for that work i think it's one of the strongest uh, venues from knee high still tell me about your second choice it's going to link in beautifully well second choice it, red shoes was the first show that we worked together on i suppose and um uh, and because of that, uh, it, uh, and, it, we, and it was one of those seminal pieces of work that it, it came, we got it, we brought it back, you know, at different points, at, at crucial points in, in, our, in our working relationship. And, and one of the other crucial times was when we opened the asylum. Um, and uh, in 2010, and, and that was a, you know, a, a, it was a wonderful uh, I loved the asylum, but the, it was a, it had been a lot of work to get to that first night of, of, um, of performances. But we did, and and the Red Shoes was that was the show again that we had there in that first season. So it, it, it's a very important work for me, and it was also I can always remember going to St Anne's Warehouse when we took um, Brief Encounter, and Susan Feldman, who who I, you know, I loved to bits and, and was a great fan of the companies as well. We'd played Brief Encounter the first time, and then I'd suggested that she had to have Red Shoes the second, and she didn't really know Red Shoes. And I said, if you don't if you don't take Red Shoes, the context for the rest of the work that you're going to see won't make sense. Um, and there's no point in going from brief encounter to Tristan you have to go via Red Shoes and she did it and it didn't commercially it didn't do as well but but the audience that came to see Red Shoes really understood then what Knee High was about so this is the one of the one of the one of the many wonderful pieces of music uh, from the Red Shoes
Red Shoes, it, that, that music, I'd forgotten about it a little bit, and then I, and it played, it just came all flooding back. I know. It's just lovely to hear again. And you can't not sway. In a while. The Catechurian Waltz, absolutely amazing. So we went on yeah. from um, that meeting, as I say, completely um, committed to by West Yorkshire Playhouse to our first major co-production, which we did The Wooden Frock, which is a show I'd love to go back in time and see. I really would. Really special. Yeah. But one of the things I remember, I really hope the late, great, wonderful Bill Mitchell is watching from somewhere because we did a model showing to the makers at um, West Yorkshire Playhouse and it was really formal. And Nehi had always just got a load of makers down at the barns. Bill was working collaboratively with them. And we suddenly were in this really formal setting with these people sat down and watching. And I think Bill brought out a Kleenex box (laughs) with some knitting needles stuck into it and a piece of string around the top and he it sort of hadn't dawned on him to actually build a model and anyway it, I've often looked back on that and I used to tease him mercilessly about the Kleenex box but it was a beautiful set that he that had been structurally engineered by your guys and envisioned by Bill and we had this sort yeah. of ladder in the air that people that the dead walked over it was so touching wasn't it and magic yeah. umbrellas yeah. that we um, suspended from the ceiling on magnets and, and we reorganised seating as well, I think, didn't we? We had yeah. seating on... We did it in reverse, didn't we? It, we did. Um, it was it was great. And I and I can always remember, I was, I, I was sat in, the, in a big meeting with all of the staff, all the production staff, before you all turned up. And I, and I just said, look, you know, we, we've got a lot to offer Nehi, but they've got a lot to offer us. So what we've got to do is make the most of both of our skill bases, you know. But think of us as a big oil tanker, and they're going to be a little yacht that are going to be all over us. They're going to be shooting around us, and, and you know you've got, to, you've got to you've got to you've got to start moving this oil tanker a bit quicker. So you know it was it was one of those conversations where people went, I don't really understand what you're talking about. And then by the time we got to the end of that first uh, production, I think people got it, and I think a lot of the makers actually really enjoyed a different way of making theatre because you brought. What you brought, you know, the Nehi brought a, a, a bunch of ways of doing things which they they didn't used, weren't used to, and I think they really enjoyed that. But also, I think we were able to give you something that you didn't have either. And it, and it was for me, it was the perfect co-production. The problem with co-productions now is they're done for all sorts of other reasons, normally financial. And to me, that's almost the worst reason to a co-production. The best is to do it because. There was this wonderful group of creative people and there was this this organisation that had all this resource and we could put the two together and create something together that we would never make on our own. Um, and that was the wooden frock for me. And you took us up a gear. You, you gave us the resources and the people to take our imaginations onto the next level. So it really was a perfect co-production. So this is my music choice now, Paul. And this is, I don't know if you remember it, it was an amazing story, The Wooden Frock. It was absolutely a show of two halves. Um, The first half was a loving family and then something terrible happens and the girl has to leave home and never goes back. So it was a very unusual two-half structure. But in the first half, the happy family sang this song, which is I Can't Give You Anything But Love. But I also want to play it, Paul, because we played it at my dad's funeral last week. And he was one of the most loving men I've I've ever met and so are you Paul so this is for the wooden frock and for all the loving men in my life
was Billy Holiday singing I Can't Give You Anything But Love. I can also remember Mike showing off his cricketing skills in that show on a regular basis, didn't he? Yeah, he actually... <laughs> so remember, he had the... Gordon sort of was showing his uh, his forward defensive stroke, I think, for my man. He did. Well, we said, because it was in Traverse, it was like the, the a cricket pitch, wouldn't it? And he's actually, he'd actually bowl. And then whenever he got a good catch, he'd love it, wouldn't he? Ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... We were we were Beautiful. fully in the grip of Paul Cruz and your amazing producing skills at West Yorkshire Playhouse, and we, my memory is, um, Nehi were in one of our many times of turmoil because the thing about uh, making art is not everything changes and change is painful, and we were going through one of our many periods of painful change, and we asked you to come in as a consultant, didn't we? And you came to sort us out, which is. <laughs> Which was a bit of a fool's yeah. errand, wasn't it? Well, I, you know, I'm not a natural consultant, let's just say that. So it was an interesting opportunity. But I, I, I did care about the company and I did care about the people. So I think I think, I think, think all three of you, and I remember the conversations and, and with the chair as well, you know, there was the conversations were done with a sense of trust and love that needed to be done. It had to be done that way. It didn't need a business sort of consultancy approach. It needed to be done understanding the individuals and understanding what their needs and, and ambitions were, really. And I think, you know, it, it was tough. And I think it was tough for, the, for you guys more than it was for me, probably. But um, I was really, I was really keen to make sure that all of all of you came out of it with the opportunities you needed to have artistically to do what you needed to do. And I just, I can remember, I felt we got there, you know, it was hard, it was difficult, it was heartbreaking at times, but I think we got there. And I think, um, you know, everybody managed to get onto the right track to, to go where they wanted to go to. And, um, but it was, t- it was tough, it was very tough. It was tough, but you really went there with us. And as you said, you went there with a the knowledge of what was really precious at Nehi and the individuals involved. And we came out of that, not immediately, but we came out of that with um, the amazing company Wildworks, Nehi mm. reforming and me becoming the artistic director. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so it was amazing. And we all remained firm friends, which I think is the biggest triumph. And I put that absolutely down to you, that you you guided us through what could have been a uh, a damaging process with such kindness and understanding that we we never lost that friendship ever and that we did manage to create a new chapter for us all yeah no i think so i mean wild works has been doing some you know since since they started they've done some amazing work and i and i was so proud of what they were doing and, and also so proud of what we did at nehi because you know it was 
we were all going up to the next level in a sense. We were all moving forward and we were developing and growing and artistically things were just taking off and it was it was exciting. It was really exciting. And I didn't let you go back to Leeds, did I? No. <laughs> I uh, I was like we were I was doing some work down in London as well with Jude as well at the time. We were metal, uh, metal the uh, she'd set up with there was a team of us that was starting this um, artist laboratory, and uh, we would sit around an Arga, if you remember, and um, mm. have Argas. And uh, you, you guys all came up a couple of times, I think, to the to the uh, our first space, which was in West Hampstead. But yes, within a year, I think I was enticed down to the, the wild and windy Cornwall farms and to uh, to start that journey. Yeah. Yeah, exciting. And, you know, it felt like it was only you. It could only have been you, but we did need a producer. Like you say, we were bursting. Our creativity was bursting out of us at that time. It was such a moment. And the geography mm. was impossible. You were driving from Leeds via London yes. down to Cornwall. I mean, the, the maybe we should talk about the miles that you drove, Paul, and the uh, penalties you incurred. Understood. <laughs> I think the police obviously had, they got it wrong sometimes, I think, on that one. Do you think? I quite got it. <laughs> but you no, I was amazing. And we did embark on such a journey together, such a journey of an incredible period of um, artistic exuberance and, like you say, the asylum. Well, we, had, we were doing so many things, weren't we? We were creating the work. I mean, the work was just... And we could have done twice as much work, I think, that every every year, but we, we were, you know, trying to manage it. And then we were building the asylum as a as a as a place for us to um, to create and to present work in. And then we were also looking at the international touring scene. And we were going. We suddenly started tra- traveling all over the world. And um, I can, you know, so you know, it was it was a massive change of gears. And it, but it was it was fantastic. It was just. Uh, brilliant time really where all these different things were happening and it just seemed to be um, everything was possible and we never we never believed I mean the asylum from my point of view was <clears throat> some people couldn't believe we were doing it but I, I just it was totally possible it was always and we always knew it was going to be there and it proved to be uh, I think and it's still it's still I think the asylum as a concept and the asylum as a as a physical being is is something that will continue I think for many years to come and then the international touring was just a lot of fun. Do you remember? <clears throat> I think we went to um, we went to Sydney Festival the first time. Do you remember you and I did a weekend in Sydney? We flew to Sydney and back, and we were there for about two days. Yeah. I mean, crazy. And we had to get back. And we got back on the got picked up the car and drove straight to Bristol Ovic for an opening of a show. Yeah, and you drove and I slept in the back because I don't think I've ever been as tired in my entire life. And you kept saying, "I'm all right, Emma," and I'm like. This man is just unstoppable. It was crazy. I think I've never wanted to get on a long haul flight ever again. But yeah, crazy times. Crazy. It was. It was. It was. A, but it, it. And I think. But I. Again, I, I always think. You know. And part of the reason we toured so much and we toured, we enjoyed our touring was we. Um, we set up relationships with people, and we 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 set up expectations to a certain degree of what we needed. But we also were very happy to to develop those relationships and keep those relationships, you know, and going to Sydney was a crazy thing to do, really. But when we went back as a company, we had everything in place that needed to be in place to make those six weeks work really well. And um, uh, and we had the relationships started at that point, which I think helped us, <clears throat> you know, we, we be uh, be as successful as we were in, in, in Sydney at the festival. So I always felt it was important to... Um, to go out ahead of things and and, um, and and meet the people and, and introduce what we wanted as well as what they wanted, understand what they needed and, and give them what they needed and and, and uh, set up that sort of partnership straight away. So we did it with, with Sydney, it was a crazy one, but I, we wouldn't do it again, I don't think we'd do it now. But. <laughs> but that but that must be why this time is so impossible for you because you really are, uh, you're, you pick up the phone a hundred times before you write an email don't you you like face to face and if you can drive to be with somebody you will because that's how you do business in every in the broadest sense of the word you meet people and you match people and you feel their energy and that you give them your energy and that must be killing you that you're in your spare room it's uh 
it's a it's a total nightmare because I you know looking at a screen every day day you know I, I I would always obviously we all look at the screens to a certain degree but most of my work working day was you know meeting people I mean I, I you know a normal day would be being in the rehearsal room maybe with the actors or, or performers for a show being on stage with people who are going to be performing that night and then meeting an audience and welcoming an audience to the venue and I you know that is is a sort of part of the day for me which i i miss terribly i that's and um and what happens is you meet people and then, uh, when you're having a chat about one thing another idea comes into place and you think oh hang on that's a good one so you've got to try and recreate this at this point in time you know i'm we're doing i'm having meetings on zoom and phone calls with so many people and trying to sort of keep that alive to a certain degree the ability to come up with something that you hadn't thought about um, and and hey that could work why don't we try it you know type approach but it's harder on a screen i find you know it's like now you and i talking i mean if, if we've been in the same room i'd have picked you up and you know giving you a big hug and simon and i would have had a you know a, a mess around and we'd but we'd have, we'd have worked out what we we're doing and we'd have just it would have been you know it would be quick and easy and uh, you know and i so yes i i find this this whole isolation thing it's essential we do it and it's important that we don't start you know, getting um, loose on it because I think we're seeing the consequences of people jumping back in too quickly. But but it, from my work point of view, it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. What's mm. your next music choice and why? Well, this was the opening theme to uh, to Tristan and Isolde. And um, Tristan and Isolde was a, was a show that uh, it came after The Wooden Frock, I think. we I think it was produced First, but it was in the period when I when I was sort of half in, involved in knee high and not quite fully there. So I can remember the first time I saw this, which was down in uh, at the Eden Project, and I don't I think it'd been you'd done it once before Restormal, maybe before that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah and we, but we did it twice at Restormal, didn't we? Because I I remember doing it at Restormal the second time, I think. But was I am I mistaken? No, that was Cymbeline. Sorry, yes, yeah, Cymbeline after that. Um, so, uh, but Tristan and Isolde for me was a show that um, it, it, the impact of that show on me artistically, I, I mean, it, it's, it's still there really because when we took it to Sydney, I stayed in Sydney with, with the company for six weeks and we, we were preparing to go to New Zealand from there. And, and, and so I, I sort of watched this show every night and um, it's, I don't do that on every show I can watch a show first night second night and maybe, but no I won't I won't start every night I watched this show every single night and I loved it and it was again another show like the Red Shoes it was a seminal piece of work for the company but and we kept bringing we brought it back over the years and we kept reimagining it and we kept recasting in it and it, and it held on to something for me that was just um, it, it, it sort of it was just a fantastic piece of work. So the music we've got here is the opening theme to that show, which uh, I always just, as when I hear this music, I, it just takes me right back to that, those, those nights of watching the show in Sydney and, and everywhere else.
That show never got tired, even though I made it. It spoke to every sort of bit of your life, whether you were falling madly in love or falling out of love or heartbroken, of which we've done all of those things together, haven't we, Paul? Not together, but <laughs> throughout our friendship. We've lived through some t- ups and downs, I think, you know, in terms of uh, the world around us, yes. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just a, it was a remarkable show. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I, it's interesting with Nehi because I can always, you know, we did reimagine all the time. We did. We came back always with the. It was I, the other record I, or album I nearly played was David Bowie because when I was young, David Bowie was the first album. Hunky Dory was my first album I ever bought. But I always remember the next David Bowie album. I get it, listen to it, and I go, "Oh, that's not as good as the last one." And then I listen to it a few more times and think, "Oh, actually, this is better than the last one." And then I would go to the next one. Oh, well, that's not what I thought it would be. And I, oh, I don't like that. And then I listen, and then I think this is fantastic. And I think it was one of the things that we often talked about at Nehi. But we, you know, we often brought a new show out, and people said, well, "That's not Nehi. That's not what we were expecting." And then, and then it would, you know, it would be around for a while, and people would go, "Oh, yeah, this is," and and they, this would become the new Nehi norm. And then there would be another show, and oh, well, this isn't what we expected. And and then that would be the next norm. And I think that, you know, that ability to reimagine and to um, not fall into the trap of repeating things. I mean, obviously, there would be some things that would, you know, people would recognise as knee-high, obviously. But the idea that we were always making something new and developing uh, and, and growing as a company and growing artistically was what, was, was, was what fueled me, I think, in terms of... Um, in terms of the work I was doing, so uh, and and but Tristan was just one of those shows as well that, that for me was a was sort of one of the platforms on which we did most. You know, everything seemed to come out of that red shoes. There's a few, and then you start adding. Oh, and there's that one, and there's Don John. Oh, and there's Wooden Frog. Oh, and and you start adding them all up. We think, hang on, there's a there's an enormous. Symbling was a fantastic show, wasn't it? Symbling was. But they were all so different, um, and uh, and so I loved I loved that, and it's why it's why you know I think Bowie David Bowie's been one of my musical heroes because of his reimagining, and I think Nehi and uh, and the work we all did together was was why I you know I look back on that those days with such pride really as well as you know joy to think that how we 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 challenged the audience a little bit with what they were going to get yeah. and uh, just ourselves we challenged ourselves a lot and I was going oh my yeah, god what did we do did we? in fact we were the opposite of sort of being rural we were really really energetic and challenged ourselves I'm very happy to be compared to David Bowie knee high and Bowie very happy <laughs> Well, listen, I'm going to move us on no, to my next choice because we've talked about the asylum a little bit. For, for those of you that don't know, the asylum was Nehi's crazy idea to um, build a huge tent in which theatre and fun and community could happen. And it was a response to climate change because we've been working outside for many years and were so wet and so tired and so demoralised from the rain that we were, we were getting tempted inside. But that wasn't who we were we still wanted to smell the sea air and feel the wind and the rain but maybe not so that we never got dry for a whole summer so we imagined this fun palace sort of inspired by Joan Littlewood and a a place where you where you could party and have theatre and could sit in a car park or a cliff top or in amazing countryside and um, we did it as we said between us and our funders and the Arts Council and Paul's tenacity and Mike Shepherd's tenacity. Um, this tent was built, not mine actually, I think I was much more on the fence about whether this was a crazy idea or not, but I think you and Mike really pushed it through. 
And we did open this amazing tent and we had some of the best parties in the world. But I want to talk about our show Midnight's Pumpkin, which was not our finest hour in many ways. It was a version of Cinderella and you, Paul, turned the asylum into the round and I think we had a 600 capacity. 750. Seven, of course we did. 700 people in the round. We did a version of Cinderella and the big idea was is that for every ball, all the audience would come down and dance so we had two intervals and two big balls and the whole audience came down and we would teach them dances and it was the headiest night out i think i've ever had we it was like being on drugs it was amazing i think i think you know that season with with wild bride and midnight's pumpkin there were two amazing performances productions which we sort of put together very quickly but actually they 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 came together really well but you know that yes, midnight, midnight's pumpkin. When we got everyone down from the seats, and we built this, we built the stage in the centre and all the seating. Uh, it was all sitting on a field in the middle of nowhere. And when when six hundred people, seven hundred people started jumping up and down together, I sort of half expected this whole field, this whole uh, stage, to start wandering down the field. <laughs> it didn't move. It didn't move an inch. It was. It was from an engineering point of view. We were. We were all feeling very happy with that and proud but it was just the most amazing experience and um i can that that particular auditorium that michael vale designed it and um we mike and i decided one night that we were going to paint the whole auditorium and all the stage and the two of us just did we we, we, we painted through the night um and then we realized we needed a second coat and we thought oh my god but luckily the office team had heard that we'd been there so the next the next night when we were painting that, they all turned up, and they all turned up with uh, some bottles of beer and uh, and their their uh, rollers, and we and and we got it done in twice the time. And it was it was just that was the that was the thing about the asylum I loved. It, everyone had to chip in, everyone got involved. You were doing things you'd never expected to do. I mean, I know more about outdoor toilets now than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> uh, you know, and and managing a car park and. All those things, and we all went into it, and we and uh, and we worked really hard. But it was the most um, fantastic experience, and and to see that six hundred people jumping up and down was just the best. You know, it was fantastic. And Stu Goodwin, wasn't it? He was standing there uh, on a on a soapbox, guiding it through with the musicians, and it was wonderful. Giddy, giddy times. Which leads me to my choice. I'm going to go for Jesse J's price tag. And Paul, you're like the best businessman I've ever met. You took, you not only took our, our work to another level, but you took our finances. You look, you took our sleepy Cornish finances to a different level. You've always been canny. You're a businessman. Um, you, you do great deals and that enables the art, but it's never what it's about. Okay. And I just want to remind you of these lyrics. It's not about the money. We don't need your money. We just want to make the world dance. Forget about the price tag. And that is you, Paul. Seems like everybody's got a price I wonder how they sleep at night When the sale comes first and the truth comes second Just stop for a minute and smile Why is everybody so serious? Acting so damn mysterious Got shades on your eyes and your heels so high That you can't even have a good time Everybody look to their left Everybody look to their right Can you feel that? 
the love, so we fight and sacrifice every, every night. So we ain't gonna stumble and fall, never. No. Waiting to see us in the sign of defeat. Uh-uh. So we gon' keep everyone moving their feet. So bring back the beat, and then everyone sings. It's not about, about the money. me right back to dancing in that Cornish field with hundreds of people and then we dance all night the audience just stayed there was no divider between the show and the bar everybody just stayed dancing it was just magic magic I mean if you remember the, the auditorium was built in the round and the stage in the center and then outside of the auditorium we, had, we people had to come into the auditorium climbing up some steps which we built as well and then behind all that inside the tent still with the bar and the food stalls and everything so the whole thing was in one space and it was just this idea that you could drink and eat and see a show and and uh you know people would turn up at five o'clock in the afternoon to have their picnics and and then they'd be still there at midnight it was it was it's the best it was the best thing best times but like i said earlier the only thing that's certain is change and i can't quite believe it because doing these tea and biscuits you know reminiscing is so special and we had such amazing times but i left knee high to go to the globe for some astonishing reason i thought that was a good idea and soon after, you left Nehi to go to the Wallace Annenberg, which I do understand, Paul. I understand that a chapter had closed. You know, chapters close even when you don't want them to, and a chapter was closing at Nehi. And you, you, you needed a big adventure. You're a man who needs big adventures, and I'm not surprised you couldn't turn down LA. But tell me what the difference is being from being a producer to being an artistic director. Well. From the way I do it, not a lot, really, because um, in my mind, uh, my job has always been to um, support artists in doing the work that they want to do and giving them a platform to do it and, and, and giving them the ability to do it and confidence to do it. So, you know, as an artistic director, we're presenting work and we are obviously, we're, you know, we're bringing companies in from L.A., from, from around the country and also internationally and that sort of program of work I, I love that I mean back going back to West Yorkshire Playhouse when I was there with Jude I mean Jude empowered me to program as well as as well as producing we we suddenly worked out you know we had to program touring work and we and, and presenting work as well as producing work and we were producing a lot I mean we were producing something like 12-15 shows a year leading to that time um, so that whole model of, of, um, of presenting and producing, I wanted to bring to the Wallace. And I thought that, you know, the staff, the team of people that we've got, uh, we had up to only recently, obviously, were really up for that mixed economy, really, of presenting and producing. And, and it's been, it, it was, it's also exciting because it was a brand new venue. You know, it had only been open a couple of years before I arrived. In fact, we, Nehi was the first company in that building with Brief Encounter. We were, weren't we? We were the first company. And I'd gone to see it when we were at Berkeley Rep. I'd driven down. I was doing my normal thing of meeting some other venues to sort of before before I left. So I'd gone to La Jolla, I'd gone to South Coast Rep, and I was and I came to the Wallace and they hadn't even finished building the theatre. It was still a building site. But I remember just looking at it and thinking, this is the most amazing uh, theatre space and um, this is where we should be doing our show so we did Brief Encounter and we were the first touring theatre company into the building uh, and and for about three years still held the record of box office <laughs> or four years even um, so uh, and that I think that relationship for me started with the Wallace when we when we 
we came with Brief Encounter. And, uh, and so when, when the opportunity was there for me to think about moving across the, the world with family, um, it, it, was, it was an exciting adventure and it was, it was something I felt that I was capable of doing and um, excited about doing it. But, but, you know, the job as artistic director for me um, was perfect because I was, I was wanting to support artists, I was wanting to support directors and designers and choreographers and all of those things. And, um, and my experience of working both in dance and in theatre and, and programming before, as well as producing, it, it, it just was great to be able to do that mixed economy. And I, I think, you know, we'd been, I've been some, I think 12 years at Nehi by the end of it. And, you know, it was, it's quite interesting to work with one or two directors, you know, yourself and Mike and Bill were, we, they, that was 12 years of working with just one and we're doing it and reinventing ourselves, but we're doing it. Suddenly I was working with 10 or 12 different, you know, directors and, and design and different teams and different people. And it was just, it was, an, it was something I hadn't done for so long. And I was really in, excited the idea of having, some, you know, meeting lots of people, having lots of relationships, and supporting people in different ways, and really supporting the LA scene. I mean, I was, I was, I was blown away by how, what the, the skill base of theatre, dance, and music in LA. And I, and I felt that the venue had a responsibility to nurture those people. And um, I really wanted to take that leap and just come and work in LA with people who live and breathe here, you know, and uh, and find out what they were doing and, and just encourage that and support that. You're a proper adventurer, Paul Cruz. <laughs> well, yep. who knows what the next change is going to bring? Who None of us thought we were going to be sat here. Um, no. You know, the, I was thinking about it the other day. I was actually talking to Annette McLaughlin and saying that you know one of the things we've grown up with the sense that the show must go on and we never imagined that the show would not go on and no no show no. would be going on so you know who knows what the next change will bring and um i just want to finish up before my i choose my last record to say thank you thank you for just all the adventures and all the energy and all the bloody fun but your ability to make me feel anything was possible was absolutely irresistible and that affected me as an artist in such a profound way because you didn't let me worry you'd say it's going to be all right Em. we're going to do it and we always did and I think you've now built that into my DNA that anything's possible so thank you oh no no well, it, it was it, it was a joy and, and to be perfectly honest you know anything is possible when you've got people with the talent you you and Mike and, and the team at Nehi you know it's not going to be the same for everyone, but that, that you and that group of people, we did everything was possible. I felt, I just felt it was, and, the, and we just had a. There's something about that moment, you know, when I was there and, and we were all together, that we could do anything. We could try anything and do anything, and I think it was, um, and we did. We <laughs> bloody did. Well, I miss you terribly, Paul. So whatever these adventures are, I bloody hope they cross over a bit more often than they do at the moment. That's all I can say. Well, me too. I, I you know, I, it's, this whole uh, COVID thing has made me nostalgic, actually, in a way that I've never been before. And I, I have been looking back and thinking about the things that, you know, we, that I've done in the past. And I do miss people. And I think I suddenly realised how much I've missed some people from, uh, from our days together at Nehi. So uh, when you see them all, send my love. I certainly will. I'm going to play us out. I'm going to bookend us with the Baghdadis, but I've chosen Nice to Be Nice because of the the chorus, which is nice to be nice, naughty and free, sun shining on a full belly, which I think sums up those heady, heady days. I mean, it also rained all the bloody time, didn't it? But it did sunshine and we did have full bellies and we did drink beer and it was nice to be naughty and free. Thanks, Paul. Take care, darling. Bye-bye. To be, but there is only one for me. It's a nice cup of tea under the apple tree. Electricity from a nice lady, drink a wine. Sunshine to be everyone and you to be mine. Some are blinded, 
Some the kind that live for money Others take their ruin simply Music to miss me I am the brandy and whiskey A little sipsy Rip my frisky drink of wine Sunshine be everyone in you Dancing la la la, the streets will make you happy. Always singing, always dancing la la la, the people all around. Always singing, always dancing la la la, the streets will make you happy. Always singing, always dancing la la la, the people all around. Nice to be nice, not the angry, sun shining on a full belly. Nice to be nice, not the angry, sun shining on a full belly. Nice to be nice, not the angry, sun shining on a full belly. Nice to be nice, not the angry sun shining on a full belly. The woman in the street with a promise laughing. She puts a bus down and she's dancing. The baby's rocking in his prom. And the kids are both skin jam. You can do it in your welly feet. In a three piece suit, in a buff or in a nude, it's a dance to really move you. Always singing, always dancing, la la la, the streets will make you happy. Always singing, always dancing, la la la, the people all around. Always singing, always dancing, la la la, the streets will make you happy. Always singing, always dancing, la la la, the people all around. Nice to be nice, not the angry sun shining on a full belly. Nice to be nice, not the angry sun shining on a full belly. Nice to be nice, not the angry sun shining on a full belly. Nice to be nice, not the angry sun shining on a full belly.
If you have a memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.